This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. everyone. I'm in my last rotation of third year, which is OBGYN. I am working on an episode to talk about that rotation that won't be released until after that rotation is completed. Today, I have a shift from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. That is to say that I am busy, but I'm also learning a ton. Seeing a lot of women, whether they're pregnant or they're coming for a gynecology appointment. So my mind is very much focused right now on women's health. I am being reminded about how important women's health is. And I wanted to take some time in an episode devoted to some very important topics that I see a lot of. And I want to share with you some of the things that I've been learning from textbooks and what I'm learning from my preceptors. So I first wanted to start out with discussing menstruation, so your period, what normal is versus what abnormal is. Because a lot of people think that the abnormal symptoms that you can get with menstruation is normal, and women might think that normal might be abnormal. So I just want to start with that. So a normal menstrual cycle starts with menstruation and that's what we name as day zero. So days zero to 13 is known as the follicular phase. That includes however long your period is, usually four to five days, is average. And then about a week, a week and a half after that, that is the follicular phase. And the follicular phase ends with ovulation around day 14. So the start of menstruation and when ovulation is, everywhere in between, including your period, is the follicular phase. And during the follicular phase, estrogen is the dominant hormone. Estrogen causes follicles to proliferate and a dominant follicle is selected and that follicle 
increases in size and that is the one that will eventually rupture and release the egg. During this follicular phase, so it's building up that follicle, the endometrium, which is the inner layer of your uterus, that thickens in response to this estrogen that is signaling this proliferation. And then on day 14, that is ovulation, and that is caused by something called a luteinizing hormone surge. And when this surge happens, it causes that dominant ovarian follicle to rupture and release the mature ovum or egg. And once ovulation happens, then we enter the other phase of the menstrual cycle, which is the luteal phase. And that is from days 15 to about 28. Some women have longer cycles. Some women have shorter cycles. So that's the days between the first day of your menstrual periods, but I'm just using 28 as an average number. So the luteal phase would just be after you ovulate to whenever the last day is before your period starts again. And during this luteal phase, progesterone is the dominant hormone, not estrogen anymore. Most of the time, women will not become pregnant. So fertilization and implantation will not occur. So if those don't occur, the luteinizing hormone decreases. And when the luteinizing hormone decreases, that causes also a decrease in progesterone. Once that happens, that causes the sloughing of the endometrial lining, which is what your period is. So I think a major misconception is that women think that their period is blood, but it's actually mostly not blood. It's mostly the lining. And of course, some blood comes with it, and that's why it looks like blood. But the amount that you see that you're losing doesn't actually correspond to that volume of blood loss because most of it is the endometrial lining. And that's why most women do not have symptoms of blood loss during their period like they would if they lost the same amount of blood somewhere else. And that's because most of it is the lining. It's not all blood. Another thing that I wanted to bring up with normal menstrual cycles is something called Mittelschmerz. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a... It's a German word that refers to this phenomenon of pain corresponding to ovulation. Not all women get it. It mostly occurs in young women, but it's a pain that you would get at the middle of your menstrual cycle around day 14. It would present as an acute onset, so sudden unilateral or one-sided pain in your lower abdomen or pelvis. Kind of just right over your ovaries, whether it's the left ovary or the right ovary, usually it's just going to be one of them and you will get this sudden pain. And sometimes women even seek medical care 
because of how bad the pain is but it doesn't really last too long it usually lasts hours to even days but goes away on its own can be treated with just over-the-counter pain medications but can be pretty debilitating for some women when these women do receive medical care if they do get it pretty severe the medical staff will usually do pregnancy testing and a transvaginal ultrasound or an ultrasound where they put the probe in your vagina to have an even closer look than if they had the ultrasound on your belly that is done to rule out more serious conditions that can present similarly so you may have heard of ectopic pregnancy and that's when you get pregnant but the fertilized egg actually implants usually in the fallopian tube and that causes very severe pain and the pregnancy is non-viable so it needs to be terminated usually with medication if you also have it on your right side appendicitis is definitely something that presents similarly and something called ovarian torsion where the ovary twists around its ligament that can cause incredibly severe pain too so all of these the pregnancy testing and the ultrasound are to rule out these more severe causes but ultimately Schmerz is just what happens if ovulation occurs and is harmless and resolves on its own it's just that the pain can be pretty intense sometimes okay so going back to menstruation so many women will complain about period cramps and painful bleeding and that is called primary dysmenorrhea and that is usually in a patient with lower abdominal pain pelvic pain and then also gastrointestinal symptoms that can be variable and this pain and other symptoms occur for the first two to three days of your period everything else on physical examination is completely normal for most women that will go away after the first two to three days of their period. Many women deal with this and NSAIDs like ibuprofen are what is recommended to treat. It's usually recommended over Tylenol because NSAIDs like ibuprofen treat your pain but also treats inflammation which Tylenol won't do. Part of dysmenorrhea or these painful periods is inflammation is involved. It's pain and it's inflammation. So if you're attacking from both fronts, then it can be even more useful. Some women actually opt to go on combination oral contraceptive pills, birth control with estrogen and progesterone as an alternative if the NSAIDs like ibuprofen aren't effective or they can't be used. One of the main reasons why NSAIDs can't be used is with history of gastric ulcers 
because NSAIDs can make gastric ulcers worse. But ultimately, with young reproductive age women, they can tolerate NSAIDs like ibuprofen fine, and those are usually what are recommended first. But sometimes those NSAIDs aren't going to be enough, and those women are usually recommended to go on birth control because birth control can help to regulate your periods more and really helps with dysmenorrhea in a lot of women. Other uses for going on birth control, of course, it's to prevent pregnancy, but it also can help with abnormal bleeding, so spotting between periods, heavy bleeding, can also help with endometriosis, something called adenomyosis. It can help with fibroids and it can help with polycystic ovary syndrome, which I will talk a little bit more. Okay, so that's dysmenorrhea. Then there is, of course, premenstrual syndrome or PMS. And also there's something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And both of these are seen most common in women in their 20s. And it's important to note that, at least with me growing up, PMS was almost treated like everyone gets it. Like, everyone gets dysmenorrhea and everyone gets PMS, but that's not true. These are actually disorders. Though it is very common, it is not normal and should not just be expected and disregarded as just something that happens. These are disorders that need to be treated. So, premenstrual syndrome, PMS, and premenstrual dysphoric disorder are characterized by physiological symptoms like anxiety, irritability, and decreased interest, as well as physical symptoms like breast tenderness, fatigue, abdominal bloating. And to really diagnose these disorders, it is very much not something that you would pick up on lab testing or imaging or a physical exam. This is what you are experiencing. So doctors usually have patients create a menstrual diary, which basically just means that Every day of the month, you're tracking your symptoms, and the diagnosis is going to be confirmed if you're having those symptoms that I mentioned, and they're occurring right before menstruation consistently every month. So if you are beginning to think that you have either of these disorders, which premenstrual dysphoric disorder is more of a severe form of PMS, but they're pretty similar. It's just that premenstrual dysphoric disorder has more of those psychological symptoms and is more debilitating in the sense that they affect your daily life. But if you think that you have either of these disorders, you really want to start today on creating that diary because you want to show that you have a pattern of symptoms for months before you can start treatment for either of these. Please, I want to say again, if you deal with PMS symptoms of any sort, you want to receive medical care for it. It is not normal. You should not just suffer through that. Then you have 
problems with not bleeding or having irregular bleeding. So this is referred to as amenorrhea, which just means not having your period. And you might remember this from when you were a preteen and a teenager when you were first starting your period. The most common cause of irregular cycles is something called anovulatory bleeding. And this is most common in the first few years after you started your period. And it can also occur again in the perimenopause period. So when you are transitioning into menopause. So in the first few years after starting your period, you can have very irregular periods. And that's because the connections between your brain and your ovaries is very immature and it's strengthening. It starts out with a very weak connection and that's your hypothalamus connecting with your pituitary, which are two parts of your brain, and then how they communicate with the ovaries. And that's called the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So when that connection is immature, it causes inadequate progesterone production. So when you're not ovulating, that can result in irregular cycles, sometimes going a few months without a cycle. And that can cause heavy bleeding. And that is usually treated with combined oral contraceptives with estrogen and progesterone because that is stepping in when your body can't with regulating your cycles. And for most women, it takes a few years for that hormonal connection to solidify. Then women start to have regular periods a few years after they start. So when you are a teenager and you still haven't had your period, that is called primary amenorrhea. This has a few different causes. So one is hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis disorders. So something goes wrong with that brain ovary connection. So it could be a problem with your hypothalamus. And one of those reasons is called functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. And that's caused by having anorexia, having a low BMI, excessively exercising, and these can cause a follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone deficiency that can be picked up on labs. Many times, your history will be telling with this diagnosis because it's a lot of times with high school athletes and those that have a very low BMI. Then there's something called gonadotropin-releasing hormone deficiency, which is also known as Kalman syndrome. This is the hormone that is released from your hypothalamus to communicate with your pituitary. And so this syndrome is a genetic disorder that you would be born with. And it also occurs with anosmia, which means an inability to smell. Those patients are diagnosed because they have very low levels of sex steroids and they won't undergo puberty at all. Then you can have ovarian dysfunction and that can be due to chemotherapy, radiation, both of these can be toxic to the ovaries. 
And then you can also have gonadal dysgenesis, which the most common cause of that is Turner syndrome. And Turner syndrome is another genetic disorder in that you only have one X chromosome, which has very subtle features. And this causes genitalia to develop normally, but primordial follicles, so those follicles that have the potential to become the dominant follicle for ovulation, they have accelerated ovarian failure. When you have that, you have primary menorrhea as if you went through menopause. For most women, this causes infertility as well. And because your ovaries also make estrogen for your whole body, that can cause failure to develop the breasts as well. Also, most patients with Turner syndrome also have some physical findings that you can see even before puberty, such as a webbed neck, a shield chest, and short stature. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is very common. The prevalence right now is about 10% of women of reproductive age in the U.S., so that's 1 in 10 women. I have seen a lot of it already. You'll see why as I talk more about it, but it is becoming more common because of obesity rates, especially in the United States. This disorder presents with signs of hyperandrogenism, things like excessive hair growth, and that's due to elevated androgens in the body. And that's one of the three diagnostic criteria. The other one is cystic ovaries on pelvic ultrasound, which is how it gets its name. And the third diagnostic criteria is anovulatory cycles or cycles that you don't ovulate or illegal ovulatory cycles, which means that very few cycles you ovulate. So this is why it can cause infertility, but I have had patients already diagnosed with this condition and were able to make changes, mostly with lifestyle changes, so weight loss, and were able to get pregnant. I had one patient that was pregnant with her third, and she suffered from polycystic ovarian syndrome for a few years before she was able to get pregnant. But she was able to do this because she lost about 100 pounds. So patients with PCOS are at increased risk for endometrial hyperplasia and cancer because of the increase of estrogen. So what a lot of people do not know is that your ovaries make estrogen, but also your fat cells make estrogen. This is why... PCOS usually occurs in obese women, and obesity greatly increases your risk for PCOS. And this is why there are many, many, many obese women that struggle with infertility. That increases your levels of other androgens, other sex hormones like testosterone, and that's why you get excessive hair growth, especially facial hair is a lot of times the first symptom that women complain about. It can also cause acne too. 
And yeah, it's a really awful disease that is unfortunately very common and fortunately is very treatable and preventable. A lot of times, not with medication, even though there's a lot of women that do take medication. For example, oral contraceptive pills, birth control, is very helpful in regulating the cycles for PCOS, but obviously that doesn't help too much with ovulation if you're trying to get pregnant. These patients have to go on other medications to induce ovulation, but because PCOS can largely be treated with bringing your BMI into a normal range and bringing your BMI into a normal range greatly decreases your risk of having complications in pregnancy. Usually what OBGYNs recommend is that patients with PCOS lose weight instead of being given all of these medications to to encourage them to ovulate. Women with PCOS are also at increased risk of diabetes. If you do have a diagnosis with PCOS, it is recommended to be tested for diabetes every two years with an oral glucose tolerance test. PCOS is unfortunately the most common endocrine disorder in women. And letrozole is an aromatase inhibitor that is usually used to induce ovulation in women with PCOS that are trying to get pregnant. And PCOS is also tied to psychiatric conditions such as depression and anxiety. Ultimately, for these patients, the first recommendation that doctors give is to have a regular exercise routine and then also having healthier eating, uh, such as calorie restriction, to help with weight loss. But if you're not planning on conceiving, then combined oral contraceptive pills are usually used to decrease symptoms like acne and heavy menstrual bleeding, as well as endometrial hyperplasia. And those combined oral contraceptive pills can also help with um, hirsutism or that hairy growth often on the chin or the upper lip. And then a lot of women can also be put on metformin if they have PCOS. And metformin is usually used to treat diabetes. So whether these women have diabetes or not, metformin can help with reducing that irregularity of menstrual cycles and can help with weight loss. Sometimes anti-androgen drugs are used like spironolactone, finasteride, and flutamide, and those are mostly used to treat that excessive hair growth, but aren't always used. And one of the patients I've seen with PCOS actually had bariatric surgery, so that is definitely an option that can treat this condition by way of weight loss. And if you're planning to conceive in addition to a letrozole, there's a drug called clomiphene that can be used, often in combination with metformin. And so PCOS increases your risk, like I said, of cancer and diabetes, but it can also increase your risk of miscarriage and it increases risk of cardiovascular disease.
Another reason for irregular periods is something called Cushing syndrome. Patients with this present with fat buildup, changes to their skin like striae, excessive weight gain, and elevated blood pressure. And of course, your thyroid is also important to talk about here. Whether it's hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism, that can also cause irregular periods because it's also interfering with your sex hormones. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at First Line Podcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.